In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. With your permission, Lord Jesus Christ, truly present with us in the Blessed Sacrament. And we ask you, Lord, as we witness this mind-boggling truth of faith, that we have Jesus truly present behind that veil of bread. To be theologically precise, it's not bread anymore. And we believe this, and we thank our Lord for that grace of faith that we actually believe it, and we look forward to this time of adoration of the Blessed Sacrament. We ask you, Lord, to help us meditate on a theme that runs through literally every time of prayer, at least implicitly. That's why we are called Christians. We follow the Anointed One. Christos means anointed. Christ means anointed in Greek. What's mind-boggling is that our God has become one of us. That is the absolute charm of Christianity and every sacramental action, every reception of a sacrament, every prayer always focuses on that incredible truth. Lord, help us penetrate a bit. This is why this time of the year is so spectacular and so special. Who is God? What can we know about God? Leave the humanity of Christ aside momentarily. It's always a mystery to me. I studied my science myself in my previous life. And to this very day, I cannot understand why scientists, physicists, astronomers, biologists don't have more faith in a supreme being. When we look at the universe, that the universe is measured in millions of light years, the distances of time that mark the creation of different components of the universe are measured in billions of years. With scientific advancement, for me, whether it's 10,000 galaxies or a million, it's all, it's all outlandish. It's all mind-boggling. These numbers I know they're astronomical, staggering, but they just drown out 
any intellectual light that the greatest genius may have. Brilliant minds spend years and years writing doctorates on a chemical reaction with sophisticated mathematical formulas to describe it, which overwhelmingly points to an intelligent force. There's intelligence, deep intelligence that you can never get to the bottom of, that is in the universe, in a cell, in the wing of a grasshopper, in a molecule, in an atom. It's oozing with intelligence, with intricate, sophisticated mathematical formulae. It's put there, it's discovered. And then we look at the beauty of the world with its rich array of species of animals and plants, of different seasons, and sunsets, oceans, snow-capped mountain peaks. With a modicum of goodwill, you know that there's something transcendent behind these breathtaking nature seeds. Yes, we need the light of faith to actually accept that the cause of this beauty in this immense universe that is brimming with an intelligence has entered into our world through the humble generosity of a teenage girl. Sacred Scripture, both St. John and throughout Scripture, but explicitly the letter of the Hebrews begins in many and various ways God spoke of old to our fathers by the prophets but in these last days he has spoken to us by a son whom he appointed the heir of all things through him, through whom also he created the world. God has spoken to us through a son. What does this mean? God's transcendence, his immensity, his power, his intelligence has been translated into my language. Why? Because this transcendence has become human. Stays God. But now, our God is human. He reflects the glory of God and bears the very stamp of his nature, upholding the universe by his word of power. So, the letter of the Hebrews begins by saying, Yup, what those Greek thinkers spent centuries in concluding that there's an uncaused cause, there's a supreme goodness, there's a supreme beauty out there. Yep, he has become human. He is now part of our world. We ask our Lord as we make our prayer here, 
even though we may academically know the answer, Lord, why did you do this? I mean, to put it in clumsy human lingo, God, independently of his creation, is having a blast being God. Infinite, everlasting life. Sheer happiness and power. No need of anything. And God really complicated his life. God can't be influenced by anything. He can't change. He can't suffer. And what did he do? He said, well, I'm going to rig away. I'm going to figure a way to actually suffer. I'm going to figure a way to identify with a very special creature, and that creature technically is not just a creature, that creature is his adopted daughters and sons. I'm going to communicate my happiness to a very special kind of being made in my image and likeness. I'm going to create a being that can love and think and by loving, that being can participate in my everlasting life. But I'm taking a chance because that human being can reject me, and that's what happened from the get-go. God was not exactly off to a good start when he created the first two human beings, Adam and Eve. And then, he said, I'm going to rig away... to not be so transcendent, to identify with every man and woman, especially in their suffering, but in every component of their life. And I want to reveal my main perfection by looking at the universe and looking at the created world. Yeah, it's not that hard to draw the conclusion that God is all-powerful, all-intelligent, all-good. But now that God has become human and entered into our world through a teenage girl and born in the stable, there's another perfection that is overarching, and that is that God is unadulterated, infinite love. Why did you become human? Why did you take on a human nature? And why did you drop from the sky in splendor? If you had some American advice, Lord, we would say, listen, why don't you make a splash here? Don't enter into this world in Bethlehem or in a stable. That's not going to cut it. Drop from the sky and land in the Roman Colosseum. Do something like that and disappear and reappear. Make a splash. Get this show on the road. We ask you, Lord, why did you do it this way? St. Maria tells us. Jesus is your friend, the friend with a human heart like yours, with most loving eyes that wept for Lazarus, 
And as much as he loved Lazarus, he loves you. You've done this, Lord, yes, to save us. To lavish mercy on us. But the incarnation, God becoming human, I would say, at least right now, it's all about God communicating to us that he is accessible. He's accessible as accessible could be. I mean, what's more accessible than a baby? You know just as well as I that we can take liberties in playing with a baby. We could pull their ears and pinch their nose and tickle their chin and talk baby talk, but do that with your best friend. You won't get away with it. And pick up the baby love the baby how it doesn't get more approachable than that i was vesting for mass and i was on the verge of being late and i had to vest quickly because there was a little baby in there and the parents wanted the baby baptized and you know i said well you got to make an appointment and all the rest of it and i was just totally taken by this little cute baby and he was smiling at me you know a lot of times they cry they see the collar and the black and they cry and this one was an exception and he was smiling at me, and I was totally immersed in the little baby. And these little babies, they invite love. And that's how Jesus came. I mean, there's two icons of God becoming human. One icon is the little baby. We don't need tickets. We don't need, we're not going to get nervous talking to a baby. We're not going to figure out what to say. We're not going to feel awkward. A baby is there to be loved. And what is Jesus telling us? I want to make myself accessible to you. Because I love you infinitely, and I'm showing that love in human form. I'm putting on a human face on my divinity. And the other icon is that beaten up, naked, dead man, pathetically hanging on a cross, like a criminal. That's my God. It's about access. And I would say, let's focus on another aspect of the incarnation, and that is solidarity. That Every component of human life was shared by our Lord. And St. Paul summarizes who Christ is. In Philippians chapter 2, I think 2 to 9, he says that he's God. Now, we're not going to dispute that. But he kind of pushed away that divinity and humbled himself and became our slave. The Holy Spirit, it's almost jarring to say that. The Holy Spirit through St. Paul reveals the God-man as my slave. That he revels in serving me and helping me and forgiving me. Hence, the Tour the force parable of the prodigal son, where 
The father is just euphoric because he can forgive the son. And he comes to forgive me. And he works as a carpenter many years so that I connect with him in my work. That God became a manual laborer. God had a job. And we find our God made human in a family. Family life is something Jesus experienced for the majority of his years here. I've had conversations, I mean, the, oh, the entire gospel is a challenge. And as we read it, we realize that the bar is so high that I'll never reach it. I can approach it. How much am I supposed to serve? Well, I've got to be everybody's servant. That's not easy. I need to be praying at all times. I need to bear my cross. I need to, how much am I loving? Well, it's not good enough to love neighbor as self. I have to love as Christ loved. But just a couple of ways to identify with Christ is a spirit of forgiveness. Depends what's on our mind, but I've heard maybe we all have experienced this, of all these challenges presented by the gospel, by Jesus' teaching. Forgiveness is up there as one of the hardest standards. We've been injured, we've been humiliated, we've been snubbed, we've been overlooked, we've been rejected, we've been victims of injustice, whatever they may be. And I'm learning myself in my pastoral ministry not to give human solutions. I've had conversations about forgiveness. It's hard to forgive. It's hard to forget an injury. Anyway, my experience is when I try to say, well, you know, it's not a big deal. You know, move on, deal with it, you know, that kind of stuff. It could be worse. I'm sure you've hurt people's feelings too. That doesn't cut it, I, so I'm, I'm not going there that much anymore. I said, well, look at the God-man who began his life here on earth being rejected by his own creation. And his reward for doing nothing but forgiving, directing, curing, giving hope, giving meaning, giving joy, was his crucifixion. And our Lord tells us, look at me. Keep looking at my life. Look at my sentiments. Share my sentiments. And realize that I did it. Do you want to follow me? Well, duplicate what I did. Do I understand your pain? I do. Do I understand what it means to do good work? Yes, I do. Do I understand friendship? I do. Do I understand humiliation? I do. I understand you. And John Paul, when he explained the incarnation, he said, when Jesus became human, 
He intimately united himself to each one of us. I was listening to a book on MP3. And what emerged in this book was the account, this happened in, I think, 2014, where 13 Ethiopian Christians were beheaded on a beach in Libya by Islamic extremists. One was not Christian, became Christian. He was baptized with martyrdom. And those who observed more than I would ever want to observe, that's for sure, detected they all were speaking to Jesus. They were all praying and laying down their lives for him. And this 13th person decided also to lay down his life for Christ, even though up to that moment he was not officially Christian. And they interviewed the brother and mother of one of the victims. And there's no way they could have spoken that way without identifying with Christ and Christ identifying with them. They said, we're honored to have a son who has followed the Master so closely, so heroically. He's our badge of honor. And I also want to imitate the Master and my son's good example. I forgive them. And I pray that they emerge out of their ignorance and come to Christ. And the brother expressed similar sentiments. St. Josemaria says again, In Christ we have every ideal. For he is king, he is loved, he is God. What sentiments do I want to foster as I prepare for the greatest event in the universe. Maybe I could repeat what a gentleman told me. This whole idea of forgiveness, I... He said he got some spiritual advice in, in confession. He says that the advice he received was to put all his cares all his issues, all his concerns, all his anxieties at the feet of Jesus, at the feet of the infant Jesus in the crib, and at the feet of the matured Jesus, the suffering Jesus at the foot of the cross. And Maybe that's the resolution we want to make, and it's today's gospel where our Lord says, unload with me. Come to me. It's a gentle invitation. That's what God is saying. That's why he became human. What's the baby Jesus saying? Come to me. You can't articulate. A baby always says, come to me. I'm not a superstar. I'm not a, 
emperor. I'm not a worldly king. I'm a carpenter. Come to me. I'm your slave. My glory is to serve you. Come to me. But how can a God be our slave? Well, God is infinite, self-giving love. That's how he's defined. No, he's not defined as all-powerful. Indeed, he is. Or all-intelligent. Indeed, he is. He is defined as that. With a very specific Greek word, which means self-giving love. Maybe the resolution I want to make to carve out time for adoration of our Lord. Call it mental prayer, call it meditation. But adoration. Ideally, many times we can't pursue the ideal, but ideally in front of the manger of the tabernacle. Don't forget, Bethlehem means house of bread. It alludes to the Eucharist. Don't forget that manger comes from a Latin word which means to eat. And we will be transformed, we will be refueled with his sentiments. We'll be able to forgive. We'll have the strength to bear our cross. And most of all, we'll be a light for others. We'll prove to people by our love and our joy as the Holy Father implies that Christ is real, that he has come into this world, and that he is good news of great joy to all the people. Mary, reinforce those sentiments in our minds and hearts. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you have communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help in putting them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. Holy Mary, our hope, handmaid of the Lord.